that's over 9,000! Welcome, Super Elite Warriors, to Final Forum, a podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball. I am your host, Jelly, an elite recruiting member of the Frieza Force, on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy to join the greatest army of all time, and I am joined, as always, by my new recruit co-host. This is Bikini. Welcome back, everyone. Yes, welcome. We're currently prepping to leave Planet 79, a base of operations for the Frieza Force, as some of you may know. Just taking a slight moment of repose after scanning our scouters for individuals with the battle power requirements to be asked to join the ranks of our benevolent ruler, Lord Frieza. You know, that's how I was discovered. So just think, one day you too can see the entire galaxy as you track down others just like you to join his grace, Lord Frieza. You're absolutely right, recruit. I mean... We can't all have battle powers as high as mine. Why? What, what, what's your battle power? Listen, I don't want to brag or anything, but I was once asked to join the Ginyu Force. Wait, really? The Ginyu Force? They're basically like the army within the army. Lord Freeze's personal strike team. Why wouldn't you join? Wait, is it because of the silly poses? What? No. The posing is awesome. Such fluidity and grace. You'd be lucky to be able to have a battle pose as half as good as any member of the Ginyu Force. No, I chose not to join because I've heard some things about the hazing that goes on when you become a menu member. Plus, they're the Ginyu Force, and I was nervous that they'd want to change their name to the Jelly Force. And, you know, just... Alright. So, you couldn't strike a good enough pose. Alright, that tears it. Check this out! Uh... What, what what are you doing? I'm showing you my stunning battle pose. Look in awe and wonder as I show you my brilliance of posturing, such that I'd fit in perfectly with Ginyu's team and their delightfully symmetrical structure. You're just standing there. You realize just standing there isn't a pose, right? It's It's just standing. But pay attention to how I'm standing. Imagine this with Captain Ginyu and his team flanked around me, with yours truly at the center of it, and it, the perfect symmetry such a pose would strike. It may look to you like just standing, but it is pure grace in its finest form. 
This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I'll pretend I didn't hear that. Uh, 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 any, anyway, I hear our mission has a secondary purpose as well. Right you are, recruit. As we drift through the galaxy, collecting powerful fighters to join Lord Frieza, in order to be able to aid his quest for galactic rule, we're supposed to keep our eyes open for a planet known as, um, let me see if I'm pronouncing this correctly, Earth. No, I, I think that's pronounced Earth. Oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Earth, as in dirt. I'm given to people. I'm given to understand their their people just like live in the dirt. Ugh, it's disgusting. I, I suppose, though, one would think that an expert in biology such as yourself would be curious to learn about a society that dwells in the dirt. What sorts of habits and traits they have, their language, their culture. They're even civilized enough to have a culture. Uh, I might be a biology expert, but anthro anthropology is your field. Uh, but back up, though. You're, you're blistering past some questions I have. Such as? Well, first of all, I thought our secondary purpose here was to broadcast our missions and familiarize people with the excitement and benefits they could enjoy if they, too, joined the Frieza Force. That's not a question. But we can have multiple secondary purposes. Yeah, but isn't secondary, like, by definition, second? Shouldn't we have, you know, secondary, tertiary, quaternary, etc. purposes? Shouldn't they all be ranked? Are we here for semantics or to find Earth? Earth. Right. Well, we're looking for Earth, or are we getting into semantics? Honestly, I, I don't even know anymore. Why are we even looking for this Earth place anyways? Well, it seems that, years ago, a Saiyan was deployed there, and Lord Frieza is anxious to know his current whereabouts, as he's not been heard from since. Uh, Saiyans? Why is Lord Frieza so obsessed with those filthy apes? Someone has to do the dirty work, and why not an already filthy race? Touché. And if you're out there listening from Earth, and you have no idea what the Ginyu Force is, or what a Scouter is, or Battle Power, well, we'll get there eventually. And if you do know what those things are, you might have a fun uh, ride with us as we go all the way back, way, way, way back to the very beginning of the anime, at least. Uh, and today we're going to be discussing the very first episode of Dragon Ball. Right. And I, I just want to mention here, um, you know, as we, as we go through, uh, one thing we're going to try to do is give you your, your homework, your viewing assignments for next time. Uh, every time we we finish up an episode, this time we're just gonna be talking about the first episode. But but I'm gonna I'm gonna let Bikini take us away with the 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 recap of this first episode. All right, episode one. First things first. Amazing opening theme. Gotta Agreed. love it. Agreed. Um, so in this episode, we're introduced to Goku and Bulma. Uh, they meet when Bulma runs Goku over with her car. Um, Goku, more worried about his food than anything else, throws Bulma's car. And in retaliation, she empties a clip into this kid that she just body checked with her car. And he shrugs it off. Uh, she kind of picks up that maybe she can't beat him in a straight fight. So she opts for diplomacy, which is probably good because Goku's a little, well, dumb. So he's pretty easy to influence. Uh, but eventually she gets him to invite her back to his place for lunch. Uh, once they get there, Bulma is introduced to Grandpa, who is the four-star Dragon Ball. Uh, we then cut to a decrepit dungeon and are introduced to the villains of this arc, Pilaf, Shu, and Bai. 
Here, Mai gives us a quick lore dump of the Dragon Balls. When all seven are gathered, Shenlong, the Lord of Dragons, will appear and grant a single wish. Pilaf, in typical villain fashion, wants to rule the world. Bulma, on the other hand, wants a boyfriend. Given her personality so far, I'm surprised that she's needed to rely on a mythical creature to make that happen. But, you know, it happens. Um, so eventually our two heroes decide to band together in search of the remaining four Dragon Balls, um, as Bulma already has two when she uh, is introduced to Goku. And they head out to continue the quest and completely forget about the lunch that they were going to have, which is not the last time that this happens in the series. <laughs> Uh, and we are then introduced to capsules, which are these little, well, capsules with a plunger on the top. And when they are activated and thrown, they usually explode and become like a vehicle or some type of shelter or some other various tool or something that they'll need. Uh, we find out later on, like much later on, these are developed by like Balma and her father. Um, but eventually, so they, they pop one of these capsules, it turns into a motorcycle, they hit the road. And almost immediately, Bulma nearly crashes and decides that it might be a good time for a bathroom break while she studies her nerves. But bad luck strikes, and she's captured by a very large talking pterodactyl. Uh, in a shocking display of lack of awareness, Goku waits for the pterodactyl to start flying away with Bulma before actually doing anything. He quickly figures out how to drive the motorcycle and jumps it into said pterodactyl. Uh, he doesn't quite get close enough, so he ends up deploying his power pole and showing off some of his magical properties uh, to close the gap between him and his adversary. And then he eventually hits this flying lizard so hard that he snaps off part of his skull. Um, he then takes the power pole, spears it through Bulma's sleeves, pins her to the side of a cliff to spare her from falling to an untimely death. Goku lands on his feet with a smirk and a disturbing nonchalance for Bulma's well-being. Added bonus, Bulma doesn't need to pee anymore. They ride off into the sunset on motorcycle number two as we close the first episode. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. It's a uh, it's a pretty chill episode. It's you know this is our introduction to a lot of things, and I don't know. Before we get into our main point of discussion, we could just talk a little bit about this episode and how we feel about it. I for me, you know, it's one that I I think. When I probably first started watching Dragon Ball, I more just put up with it because I was like, eh, so, you know, they got to do your start of everything. When I come back you gotta, around you and watch it, your setting. Yeah. When I, when I come back around and watch it these days, I have a bigger appreciation for it. Uh, you know, the, the way they're really establishing, I mean, even just in the few moments we get of it, of what. Goku is like before this adventure starts, you know, he just, mm -hmm. he just lives every day, day to day. He does, and he does whatever he needs to in the moment, right? He needs firewood. He goes and gets firewood. He's tired. He's hungry. After that, he goes and gets food. He's tired. He sleeps. He has to pee. He pees, right? He just does. He's a complete product of nature entirely. And he just follows his impulses. Yeah. And we get that just in you know, a few of the early seconds of this space, not seconds, but I mean, that's, that's really what this episode does so well in a short amount of time is it really establishes him. And then obviously it also very well establishes Bulma, um, who we're going to talk about in detail at some point, not today, but you know, she's also a really interesting character for a whole bunch of different reasons. <laughs> um, but yeah, it it really establishes here's your your foil characters, right? Your your 
pr- pure product of nature and you're pure, not not pure, but but she's a product of society, right? And and, and yeah, and kind of like as I said before, you, you know, you learn pretty quickly that she's well, she's a technical person. She's an engineer. She's a scientist. Right. And and there's a lot of little things too that you that I don't know. The the more I've been kind of researching some of this stuff. Um, and here's a good opportunity to say, I'm never going to claim that, that we're the experts. Uh, I'm, we're reading what other experts have written and regurgitating it for lack of a better term. Uh, really, you know, I just think this stuff is interesting. I think more people should be talking about it. More people should be learning about it. So that's why we're doing this podcast and also to spread the glory of Lord Frieza. Uh, but you know, really, really that's, that's the primary focus, obviously. Uh, but but really, you know, it, it's just something that I think should be talked about a little bit more. And so there's a lot of stuff that's really interesting. And I think maybe when we do like an episode about the manga or Toriyama himself or maybe just kind of throughout, we'll talk about some of that kind of stuff. But like the way Bulma is dressed is already an indication to viewers at the time that this is a hip girl, right? She's wearing... Um, the the like the shoes and socks she's wearing are very 80s the the one glove on one hand that's a michael jackson thing Good reference yeah the the way her hair is styled that's a very 80s like madonna hairstyle uh she winks a lot that's a very madonna type of thing to do like she's a very 80s very cool person even the car she's driving is like some kind of weird like very 80s specific type of car it's a very it's like Everything about her is just very, like, cool and hip. Um, and that's that would all be readily obvious to a viewer, even of a younger age, which, again, Dragon Ball is primarily targeted towards, you know, teen and tween age boys. It'd be very obvious to them, like, oh, this girl's cool. So there's a lot of little stuff like that, you know, putting in um, the pterodactyl that can talk. Um, that's our first, that's one of our earlier introductions to like, this is a a world where dinosaurs exist and animals can talk and dogs can become president. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but also like at one point when they're talking and Goku thinks that Bulma's a monster. Uh, in the Japanese, he says yokai, which we talked a l- very, very briefly in the first episode that yokai are just like goblins, spirits, whatever, monsters as well. Um, it's sort of a catch-all term for, you know, monster, essentially. What she actually says when she's in the... If you're watching the U.S. version, she says, I'm a girl. In the Japanese, she says, I think the word is ninjen or ningen. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Right, which is closer to human. Another uh, another disclaimer here. We are going to butcher. <laughs> we are going to butcher Chinese and Japanese words. I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, we are doing our best. Yes. <laughs> but uh, alien anatomy does not make it easy to pronounce human words. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> she says ningen or ninjen, and, and it, it means human in a somewhat literal sense but the connotation is more like i have a soul right so like the pterodactyl that that attacks 
her would be also a ningen or a ningen. Shu, who is a dog, but can talk and like has consciousness. He would also be one. There's a lot of vocabulary stuff that gets lost in the dubbing. It's just kind of interesting, right? Uh, this might actually be a good time to ask, what version are, are you watching as we review this? I'm watching the dub right now. Okay. Um, I've been watching sub. I, I mean, because I've, I've seen the dubbed version, so I figured, yeah, you know, it's a little different. It might help keep my interest a little longer. But also, you start to see those little little things that get lost in translation. Yeah, some of the big ones, too, are like, I'm not sure if it's this episode or maybe the next one, where it's like the fir- the very first time that Bulma calls Goku Son-kun, which his, his, cause his name in the Japanese is Son-Goku. Uh, Son is his surname, and Goku being his given name. So she calls him Son-kun, which is basically, in Japanese, if you're not familiar with a person a lot of times, you you very often refer to them by their last name. And then you have an honorific essentially after that last name. And you know, if it's a, if it's a grown man or woman, I'm not a hundred percent. I don't know my Japanese that well. You'll say <laughs> San S A N, you know? So like people just to take a different character, for example, Vegeta, people will call Vegeta Vegeta San, you know, you take Akira Toriyama and people call him Toriyama San. You're called Kuhn if you are of a younger age than the person who is talking to you a lot of times. So, you know, like your your kid would be would be like bikini Kuhn, you know. It's there's a lot of that kind of vocabulary and stuff that just gets lost. People call it Goku. Goku. Everyone calls him Goku, Goku, Goku. Even if the subtitles will a lot of times translate it that way, you can still kind of hear it. When you're when you're hearing the the Japanese language, Bulma calling him Sonkun, you know Vegeta calling him Kakarot, uh, other characters calling him Goku or Goku San or Goku Kun or whatever. Like they they all kind of have a different because everyone has a different relationship with him, and so everyone calls him something slightly different. Um, and that's a, this is kind of a decent segue into Goku himself, which is our main topic of the day, being our main character of the franchise, and this being the first time we see him. He is terrible with that stuff. He is, as we mentioned, he's a hillbilly and a hick. His dialect is like, I would say, maybe the equivalent of like Bayou Cajun almost. Like it's almost hard for people to understand at times. He does That's not understand honorifics. He does not understand how to refer to people. He uses a lot of masculine pronouns to refer to women because they're the only pronouns he even knows. So it's just kind of interesting stuff, right, that you can pick up in the subtitles or even just in the Japanese language if you're really kind of paying attention. Somebody should really start a podcast about, like, the cultural subtext that's in this show. There seems to be quite a bit of it. <laughs> um, so who is Goku? Right, This is our main character. He's a Saiyan, although it's a long time before we, viewing the anime or reading the manga, know what a Saiyan is at all. Uh, his birth name is Kakarot. That's a play on Carrot. Uh, when, he had, when he was a child, he had a head injury. It wiped his memory and... Uh, his instinctual destructive nature. And he was raised by his grandpa, Gohan, who was a martial arts master who will 
we'll meet throughout this various times, but also we will learn more about him, like from other characters. As Goku kind of goes on his journey, he'll do something, uh, maybe use his power pole, maybe the way he fights, maybe even the way he talks, and a character will be like, "You remind me of someone who trained you," and he'll be like, "My grandpa, Gohan." And they'll be like, oh, I know Gohan. And they'll like tell like some brief little thing about him. Goku is inspired in part by some slightly more obvious to American audiences, at least, influences like Jackie Chan, whom uh, Toriyama once said a young Jackie Chan would be the only person who should play Goku in live action. I mean, I would I would love to see that. It'll never happen, but I would love to see that. Well, because a young Jackie Chan, let me get my time machine and, you know, (laughs) (laughs) go grab him. And also Bruce Lee, other martial arts film stars. I mean, Toriyama is is a hound for TV and movies, and he watched a ton of kung fu movies when he was a kid. Uh, and even a teen and, and growing up and everything. So he he's heavily influenced by these kinds of things. So also his his character design, because he's designed after a character from Journey to the West, which we'll bring up a little bit more in a moment, was originally basically just a monkey. But it was changed because he's the main character and they thought it needed to be, you know, more human. His editor, Toriyama's editor, Kazuhiko Torishima, suggested the tale and Toriyama said later on I, I think he was probably joking is what he, what Toriyama said but Toriyama goes I thought why not and I just did it and that's very indicative of Toriyama's writing style in general um, of just kind of being like why not why not have this happen why not have that happen and just kind of run yeah, with I, it I could see that um, Goku's hair is probably in this Toriyama admitted although he admit he says it was probably subconsciously more than anything else his hair was inspired by an old anime and i believe manga character one of the first really popular anime characters and that being astro boy uh they tried to make like did they try to make an american movie of that years ago or was it just a movie in general that got did one i think it was like early 2000s i think they tried to do like a one of the cg animated version yeah of it but yeah, he's been around for a long time. I think he was originally created in response to uh, Mary Melody's uh, making it to Japan. Yeah, because it's the same kind of style, and it's you know black and white, and it's the same time frame. Um, but you can see that there's like a lot of uh, parallels between like Astro Boy and Mary Melody's. Right. Yeah, and 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 then Astro Boy is is so popular in Japan. It it ends up influencing a lot of things. I mean, we're taught it's Goku, but like you if you've seen Astro Boy for like 30 seconds and you've played uh the Nintendo Entertainment System when you were a child, you'll be like, "Oh, that's that's Mega Man." So, yeah, Astro Boy is a, a older and like highly influential character in Japanese animation. And so that's just kind of part of where Goku gets his look from. So you kind of you blend this this Astro Boy which was uh older but at the same time more contemporary and obviously Astro Boy, he's like futuristic with the the old um, you know, Goku wears these sort of Chinese kind of uh, geese. He's a very, you know, plain clothes like kind of boring in terms of what he's wearing, but the, you add the tail in there. Goku's this real mix of new and old, 
And in terms of some of his other inspiration, he was also inspired by, and is, and we talked a little bit about how Dragon Ball is inspired by Journey to the West. Well, Goku was inspired by a character from Journey to the West, Sun, Sun Wukong, a.k.a. Monkey, a.k.a. the Monkey King, a.k.a. Son Goku, depending on which journey, which translation of Journey to the West you're reading. So, who is Sung Wukong? Well, Sung Wukong is a legendary mythical Chinese character uh, growing out of the stories of the life of, and I'm going to try not to butcher this, I believe it's pronounced Xuanzang? I think that's close enough. <laughs> All right. Uh, as we discussed a little bit in the introductory episode, he's the monk who crafted much of what is now Chinese Buddhist thought uh, on his pilgrimage to India. So the fictional version of Xuanzang is called uh, Tong, Zan, Tong San Song. Close I enough. Right. <laughs> I, I think I'm doing okay. And uh, Sun Wukong uh, becomes his companion on this trip. Uh, in Dragon Ball, Xuanzang is the inspiration for Bulma, uh, but again, we'll get into that when we have a more Bulma-specific episode. So Sun Wukong is born from a magic stone and begins life as a stone monkey, who later becomes monkey king by climbing a waterfall. Uh, but his happiness is kind of short-lived when one of his friends dies. So he decides to leave his home on a raft to try and find an immortal who can teach him how to beat death. Uh, he eventually finds a master who teaches him the Taoist ways, uh, which are what lead to his longevity, his strength, and, and uh, you know a bunch of his other powers. Um, and during his adventures, he acquires special shoes, which allow him to walk on clouds. Hmm, sounds kind of familiar, maybe. Mm -hmm. and, and his power staff, uh, known in that version of the story as Ruyi Jingu Bang. Uh, but in doing so, he ends up offending Hell itself, defies Hell itself, and angers the immortals as opposed to winning them over to his cause. Yeah, and, and from there, Sun Wukong is granted a position in heaven. But it, he finds out it was just a ruse to give him the lowliest position imaginable, I think it's like stable boy, in order to appease him and cease his conquests and his aggression on Earth. This backfires, and he winds up openly rebelling against heaven by ascending to the highest levels of heaven. It's like during a party, and he steals treasures found there. So everyone's out of, out of the, the building, and he ascends to the highest level of heaven and steals all the treasures. Uh, he's sentenced to be put into a crucible in a fire so hot that it could melt the Buddha himself. But he finds a flaw within this crucible. He's able to survive and, in fact, is further strengthened by the ordeal. Uh, Buddha then arrives and tricks Sun Wukong into being imprisoned under a mountain for hundreds of years. It's the, the trick is kind of, I bet I can hold you in the palm of my hand no matter what you do. Sun Wukong you know, flies to what he believes are the ends of the universe, finds five pillars there, carves his name, I think, into one of them, and flies back and says, ha, ha, ha. And Buddha says, yeah, those were my fingers. Um, <laughs> and then he, like, flips his hand upside down and crushes him under some mountain. Um, when Sun Wukong then hears about Tan Zanzang's pilgrimage, he offers to assist in exchange for his freedom upon completion of the pilgrimage. So he says, I'll help you out, but you know, then I am not going back under a mountain after this is over. Um, in order to keep him in line, a magic circlet is placed on his head, 
which Sanzang can use can cause to tighten and give Sun Wukong an unbearable headache. And the Monkey King winds up being a loyal and faithful servant to Sanzang and ultimately becomes a Buddha himself. So you can hear in some of this how we've got a lot of similarities and some differences between Sun Wukong, Sun Wukong and Goku, right? I mean, cloud walking, flying Nimbus, those are pretty obvious ones. The power pole. They both love to fight, though. That's a big one. That's, I mean, and kind of in this episode, we, we like they established that right off the bat when Bulma's trying to convince him to come with her to seek out the Dragon Balls. And he's not even like, like the whole thing with the wish doesn't even like register for him. It's more about, wait, so if I go with you, I can like train and become stronger. And she's right. like, yeah, totally. And then that's, that's the only uh, motivation that he needs to take off on this adventure. Yeah. Yeah. It's Goku's a very simple, we talked about he's, he's very natural, right? He just lives each moment as it comes to him. Uh, he has like, yeah, that's every character in this show for the most part, right? A, a character that you would consider to be a, a major, uh, either, either primary or major secondary character either gets a wish at some point, And now I'm talking about over the years or talks about what they would wish for, right? Goku yep. never. Especially early in this, when when she, when everyone's talking about, oh, if I had the Dragon Balls, I would, you know, Bulma wants a boyfriend. Other characters later want a girlfriend, or to not be afraid of girls, or uh, to have, have boobs flop in their face, or um, they want panties, or they want to, and and yes, those these are actual things, um, or they want to dominate the world, or they want immortality, or any of these other things. Goku never even like it. Never registers with him that oh, I could think about what I would want to wish for because he's just, like, content all the time. I also think it, it, it kind of is another thing that's sort of indicative of his character where he could easily collect Dragon Balls and just wish to be the strongest fighter. But instead, he would prefer taking the long route and earning that strength on his own as opposed to trying to find a shortcut. Right. And and some of that, it's, it's interesting because... I've not read Journey to the West. I've just read about it. I think at some point we might read it and and do like a a big kind of compare contrast type of thing. Sure, why not? Um, but you know, it's you know from what I understand of Sun Wukong, um, he likes to fight because he's like a brawler, right? He's he's kind of brash and and uh, and bordering almost on being a bully especially early in his life right before he's banished from heaven and all of that kind of stuff goku i think that's one of their bigger differences right goku wants to fight to test his limits to constantly get better they do both get stronger after every battle especially when they should die during the fight you know we talked about that crucible Sun Wukong comes out of that crucible yep. stronger than ever. I watch any of these, you know, arcs throughout Dragon Ball as we go further and further. The closer Goku is to dying in one of these arcs, the stronger he comes back for the next fight. One interesting note about Goku is he 
Japanese? Is he Chinese? Is he neither? That, that's been a point of contention for people. Um, in no small part because of a certain live action movie. Uh, where <laughs> what Go- live action movie? <laughs> where Goku was portrayed by Justin Chatwin. I guess the the one answer on the one hand it's he's he's neither right because he's a Saiyan so he's an alien, but really he's more inspired by Chinese culture than kind of anything else. Um, you know the the whole journey to the West begins in China. He lives in a very kind of Chinese style uh, hermit hut. His uh, his like whole naming convention. His name is like Chinese. And even Toriyama says, like, a young Jackie Chan should play Goku. Well, you know, there you go. He's he's kind of more Chinese than he is anything else. I mean, he's he really is neither. Um, he's not drawn typically with, like, a lot of characteristically Japanese traits or Chinese traits, for that matter. He's drawn somewhat Caucasian, and that's where pe- some of the confusion with people come in. Um, it's an interesting point of discussion, but I do I would say, you know, that that is one case where, and I would say almost almost all of Dragon Ball, there's exceptions, obviously, is a case where if you ca- just because you're casting a white actor to play that part doesn't mean you're whitewashing. I mean, I can I can see that perspective. Me personally, I come down more on well, it's 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 not our universe, so. Would there even be Chinese or Japanese people in that universe? Right. That's, I mean, that's, that's tough to say because yeah. I mean, like, like we were talking earlier, like there's a dog that be, that is like president or something. So I can't I can't think of a real world parallel for that. So, well, and you know, later in the story, we come across like at one point Goku beats up a guy who definitely looks a hell of a lot like Bruce Lee. That's true, and like. Those characters are drawn very different. Like when Toriyama is drawing an Asian character, he draws them different than he draws Goku. Um, True. And that's one of the reasons why Goku is meant to be sort of a racial, I guess I'll say, is he's he's supposed to be the main character. And this is supposed to have broad appeal. So everyone's supposed to see, be able to see like a little bit of themselves in Goku. I just think it's an interesting discussion, right? Because I I remember that coming up when that movie came out. They're like, oh, they're using all white actors. Like, that's whitewashing. And it's like, eh, I don't know. Especially because they used a couple of Asian actors in that. Like, I know Jamie Chung played Chi-Chi. And uh, it was Chow Yun-Fat, I think, is Master Roshi. Yeah. If I remember right. So, you know, it's not like they didn't give any Asian characters big roles. Representation. Um, is important. Right. I think so. So yeah, we've talked a little bit about Goku. He's energetic. He's kind-hearted. He's pure. He's innocent. He's naive. He's stupid. We, we talked about that with the honorifics. Um, and that's why if, if you've ever, if you've ever watched Dragon Ball, I mean, if you're a newcomer, that's great. That's kind of, we want this to appeal to new and longtime fans. If you're a newcomer and, and you, you're not aware of this yet, you'll see like later on, Goku will like walk up to people and just say hi, and they will freak out on him. And if you're uh, a native English speaker like I am, I mean English. <laughs> I speak my planet's language. It just happens to be 
this, this listen there <laughs> you're doing it for the people at home listening through the universal translator it's fine uh, don't worry but no, about if it. you're if you're if you're a native english speaker um you'll just see goku come up and say hi or hi lord beerus or you know hi beerus how you doing right whatever when you when when he meets these characters. Hi, Frieza. How, what's up? How's it going? And if so, if you've ever seen Goku come across these characters that other people definitely revere, and he just says hi to them, and everyone freaks out at him, and you're like, well, this is, he's not being mean. In a way, he, he kind of is, right? It'd be like walking up to the, the, the president of the United States and being like, hey, dude, what's up? You know, it, it's like walking up to your to your boss and saying, what's going on, man? And, you know, hey, maybe you've got that relationship with your boss, possibly. Do you have that relationship with the CEO of your company? Uh, I don't know. Right. Uh, so a, that's that's it's why about people, not respecting the hierarchy. Right. That's why people freak out on Goku. He walks up to, you know, kings and lords and gods the same way he would walk up to a, a longtime childhood buddy. And it gets him into a lot of trouble. And he, he just doesn't know any better. Uh, because he was raised by one guy who was the only person he had ever seen in his entire life until he met Bulma. And was like a hermit, basically. Um, so it's just kind of... I think that that was one of the more eye-opening things for me when I first started researching something. I would be like... Why do people freak out on him just for saying hi, you know? Uh, but it's the way yeah. he talks and the way he says things. Um, uh, I mean, he's he's definitely uneducated. I don't know, uh, see, because I'm kind of nitpicky about what qualifies as stupid. And to me, it's more he's just ignorant, like he doesn't know any better in a lot of situations. Um, and we, we can also see examples, for, I mean... I. Like, I think Goku just, is just portrayed as, as being like in this... pretty dumb, <laughs> right? And, and that's and okay. It's not, it's not necessarily wrong. It's, uh, but I think it's more a product of the fact that he lived in the mountains with his grandfather and had no formal education. Because you can see instances, and in, like even this episode's a good one, where like he'll pick something up very quickly, like for instance, how to drive a motorcycle. That I personally don't think a stupid person could do. I guess if that okay. makes any sense. Uh, yeah, I, I get I get the argument. Uh, uh, but like as far as like social interaction, yeah, he's a complete idiot. Yeah, yeah. And that's that carries through. And like there's even been times where he's been trained. Like it's just I mean, again, it's it's a manga. It's for it's a lot of times played for laughs and things like that. But like, I mean, the dude can't figure out how to drive a car, you know, like. He can't get his driver's license. I, I get your argument. I, I think you got a point there, though. So, um, you know, one other thing about Goku is, and I think we have two other kind of big discussion points to talk about here. Uh, but one is a lot of people call him, especially lately, um, especially, you know, in more recent years, they say he's overconfident, he's cocky, he picks fights things like that first of all he's he's a horrible father <laughs> <laughs> um akira toriyama has said he is a disaster as a father um <laughs> if we just want to very briefly talk about very very briefly i think um the the interesting point about it, he is 
He is far too loving and emotional to be a good Saiyan father, right? Mm -hmm. He doesn't he doesn't necessarily train his kids. He doesn't train them harshly. He doesn't get them ready for battle. And he is far too absent. I was going to say, yeah, absent and emotionally distant to be a good Earth to father. Be good, to be a good human <laughs> father, yes. We could talk about that maybe some other day in more detail. But, yeah, they, they talk about him being overconfident and cocky, um, picky. First of all, you know, that kind of goes back to his inspiration as a character. Sun Wukong is very confident and cocky and, and constantly wants to fight. Um, but is Goku overconfident? Is he cocky? You know, I don't know. His, he's, he's very improper as we talked about. And, and so I think that's where he comes off as unrefined and things like that. But I, overconfident is a character like, um, in Dragon Ball, I would say Yamcha. Right, Jack. Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yamcha, Yamcha is a a braggart. He he overestimates himself in Dragon Ball. But by the time we get to Z, you know, Yamcha starts to take more of a back seat. But then, who becomes our overconfident character in Dragon Ball Z is Vegeta. Right, v Vegeta mm -hmm. literally cannot conceive of a world where he's not the strongest one. He thinks it's impossible. He thinks it's his birthright. He lets other characters become stronger because he wants to put them down and put them back in their place constantly when they think that they're stronger than him. Goku, on the other hand, wants to fight people when they're at their strongest because he wants to test himself. And I think that's a big difference between overconfidence and Goku's just confidence, right? He, he, has, also, he has confidence in his ability. There's also uh, context to some of those fights, too, that people point to as, as him being cocky. Um, and the big ones I can think of are like letting Frieza get to 100% and the Perfect Cell fight where he gives Perfect Cell a, a Senzu Bean. And I think in both of those instances, while, yes, he definitely wanted to test himself and, and push his limits – I think there was also a point there that he was trying to make of I want to beat you at you at your best so that you don't have an excuse afterwards when you lose. For sure. And, and I, that's 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 kind of a theme that he has with a lot of his villains in in that they they believe him themselves to be superior to him. And then it's it's not only am I going to beat you, but I'm going to beat you so bad that not even you are going to be able to lie to yourself about it. And I, I think that's a big part of his, in general, sort of, I'll say, like, kind-hearted and more pure nature, right? He doesn't ever want to have an unfair advantage. Right. He wants he wants the reason that he won to be because he was stronger, not because of some fluke. Right. And and so I, I don't think Goku's overconfident. I, I'm going to come down on the he's just confident as we've mentioned, he is always just trying to test his limits because, and I think this is where we can get into the, the, the character arc discussion. Because Goku believes, he believes deep down, and this is the reason why Goku does everything, that he can be better tomorrow than he was today. That's who Goku is. That's what he is deep down. And that really never changes 
in the however many decades that Dragon Ball has been around. That's who Goku is. 100% true. And that's where we get into a lot of people, if you ask, and I might have even said it on our first episode. Yeah, I prefer Vegeta. Um, I prefer Vegeta for me a little bit because I think he's just a little bit funnier by being the straight man amongst all this ridiculousness Ridiculousness. that's going on. (laughs) But a lot of people, if you ask them, why do you like Vegeta better than Goku? They will very often say, because Goku is boring. He is the same character always. He's flat. Yes, that's partially true, but that is a type of character. It's called a flat character, and flat characters have flat character arcs. So we talk about character arcs. There's the positive character arc, which perfect example is Vegeta, right? He is starts sure. off bad and gets better. There's the negative character arc, which like would be... Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone who we would see in Dragon Ball early on go through any sort of negative change. I don't think so, really, because we follow so much along with Goku himself. Um, but and, we... and thematically, like, Goku's whole thing is to positively affect those around him. Right. Um, but when we get into later in the series, we'll start seeing some characters. I mean, when we get into Super, a big example is Zamasu who starts off as one of the the gods, one of the good gods, and becomes uh, the the okay. main villain of a of an arc. That's the ne- and then there's the flat character arc, and the flat character is Goku. It's a character who, it, a character who kind of already knows who they are in their core and knows their inner truth, and they don't change or grow throughout the story. They cause others to change and grow throughout the story. I think one of my more recent examples that I can think of that would be like a good example of a flat character is uh, Wonder Woman from the DCEU. When when she actually starts her adventure, you know, ignoring the bits at the beginning when she's a little girl and still growing and learning and whatnot. Um, but when she starts her adventure, she she already kind of has this belief is that love is what can save the world. Um, and then by following that at, from beginning to end on her adventure, she uh, – changes the life of the people around her number one being steve trevor and all of his comrades and it ultimately ends up ending world war one by following that philosophy yeah that's that's a really good example right and it's funny because when you talk about movies people don't tend to rail as much against these flat character arcs for whatever reason right It it might just be because a movie is two hours and then you're done with it and so people are like, oh, if the character didn't change that much, that's not a big deal. Versus a TV show, Dragon Ball's been around, you know, since the 80s, and it's now 2015, and Goku is still <laughs> this, like, um, naive, goofy, always wants to fight kind of guy. And that's just, but, and so he hasn't changed really kind of who he is at his core. In a way, that makes him, like, the perfect character to base a whole series around because there's no end to that arc there's no end to the number of people he can come across and make into better people versus as much as i love him vegeta his 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 arc is is in a lot of ways kind of done right he he goes from being a villain to being like an anti-hero to being a full-out ally of goku and then when we get into super you have to kind of replay the vegeta character arc 
you put some twists on it and that makes it still interesting, but that you're just kind of re redoing that over and over, right? There's, there's an expiration date to that sort of an arc. That's why Piccolo is not really a character anymore, right? He, he has completed his change. He has gone from being evil to being, to being Gohan's, daughters i mean when you think about it really (laughs) like a lot of the a lot of the the people that hang out with krillin or with krillin with uh goku um i was going to start talking about krillin that's why that happened um (laughs) they they start out sort of um as an antagonist and then they are they are slowly kind of like worn down by his relentless positivity and insurmountable strength um, I mean, you look at like uh, Bulma, their initial encounter is, is a little heated, um, but she eventually decides to work with him as opposed to against him. Same thing with Krillin. They start out as rivals under Master Roshi, eventually become the best of friends. Uh, Yamcha starts off as a bandit in the desert and eventually, you know, gets kicked to the curb by Bulma. Poor guy. You know, Piccolo, uh, uh, you know, I can't think of a more full of hate for Goku. Like uh, from like the very depths of his soul um, and still somehow manages to later on become his friend and, and a mentor to his son, which surprising to say the least. And then, of course, you know, Vegeta. And yeah, is that is that a little samesy sometimes? I, I guess. But like a lot of, you know, the way those characters change and grow can always change around Goku, you know. For Krillin, it's because they trained together. For Piccolo, it's because they f- they faced a bigger common threat. You know, for Vegeta, it's because over time, Vegeta kind of got over his own pride a a, a little bit. <laughs> and and, uh, and I think uh, his close contact with Goku kind of showed him the good things about how he lives his life. Right about having a family and and having something to fight for as opposed to just purely fighting just to fight right and so yeah you can you know you can start saying oh it's boring because goku just always wins but like you can have the way he wins and the way he changes the characters around him constantly be shifting and you know everyone everyone can pull a different lesson from goku that's why he's such a well-loved character the world over is because every person out there can find something different to identify with in him and a different thing to love about him, right? Some people love how silly he is. Some people love how strong he is. Some people love how improper he is, right? There's a different thing that you can identify with him. I think the the other kind of big flat character arc that Goku gets compared to a lot is Superman, right? Superman, yeah. Superman is raised by the Kents, to believe that he can and should be this just force for good in the world, right? And that's just how Superman, Zack Snyder accepted, always is. <laughs> he he is just... One of my favorite Superman panels is the one... You might have seen this, where there's the, like, the, the girl or something that's about to commit suicide. Have you seen this one? Right. Yeah, and he convinces her that it's it's, you know, not it's a it's like a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Yeah, and just the way he the way he, you know, 
Because Superman as a character, and I would say this about Goku too, he's not about how strong he is. It's about what if a person who had all that strength was inherently incorruptibly good. It, it's just taking that that expression, um, uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, and then basically creating a character that disproves that viewpoint. Right. And that's I think that's a big piece of why Goku and and Superman are so often put into these fantasy fights against each other of like who would win um because they're the strongest characters for the most part in their un- in their respective universes and you know they're both these just like relentlessly positive characters that are kind of born out of that same single idea you know and and also the the dubbing in the American versions of Z which was you know, more popular here than the original Dragon Ball uh, did not do a whole lot to to help shake anyone of that notion. There's a lot of dialogue Goku Goku delivers uh, while fighting Frieza. That's very Superman esque dialogue, yeah, big time. Yeah. Um. That and if I remember correctly, and I've I've never actually uh seen like the Japanese version of those episodes, but as I understand it, that's not really what he's talking about in those episodes. Right. In the original Japanese. <laughs> yes, correct. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, it's just, Hey, they, they you know, give people props for seeing a similarity and, and pushing it. Right. Cause Superman's generally always been popular. Um, yeah, but I don't know. So that's, that's Goku. That's who he is and what he is. Uh, he's our main character. Um, I don't know. I, uh, is there anything else we have to add? Uh, not that I can think of, although there is one thing. Oh man, that Bulma. I like a woman who knows how to take charge. Settle down, recruit. Hey, are you sure you're not part Saiyan? A filthy monkey? No, sir. I've bested many a Saiyan in battle, and I can tell you that they wish they were me. Be that as it may. Do you have anything else to add to our topic for the day? Just that uh, Bulma's really... Hey, I'll, I'll take that as a no. Wait, what's that? An alarm? Relax, recruit. It's just a call. Track it, and we'll see if we want to answer. Let's see... The scouters say it's coming from uh, from Lord Frieza's ship. Quick, put your pants back on. We need to be as presentable as possible in case Lord Frieza himself is reaching out. Until next time, listeners, thank you for joining us. We will be discussing episodes two through five of the anime. Uh, will Lord Frieza be on the other end of the line? Will he be offering us some final words of encouragement to wish us well? Find out next time and help us achieve our final forum. is written and produced by Tom Gwelly. It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Gwelly. 
Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator, GVG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikini? Connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza. The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership. 